Hello, hello. Welcome, class. A special shout out to Eli Yancey for this song. Um, This is a song he would like playing if he was on a special mission and needed to know that we were going to save him and we would blast that song for him. So thank you, Eli. I greatly appreciate it. So let's get on to some uh, learning. We left off the other day with uh, 1998 and with uh, Osama bin Laden and Zawahari issuing fatwas and declarations and really making it public, their viewpoint, perspective of uh, America and the West. So let's take it to June, middle of uh, 1998. An ambassador from Saudi Arabia went to Afghanistan to cut a deal with Mullah Omar. Basically, if you forgot, Mullah Omar, he founded the Taliban in 1994. Him and the Taliban, meaning the students, took over Afghanistan and have created a very rigid fundamentalist um, Muslim state. Um, And uh, uh, it's no secret that um, Osama bin Laden is in Afghanistan. And so the Saudi Arabian ambassador with pressure from the United States, is basically attempting to cut a deal with Omar. Like, hand over bin Laden and we'll give you two, 400 trucks. No kidding. So, Mullah Omar was like, okay, that's cool. Give me the trucks. So, gave him the trucks. Mullah Omar did not hand over Osama bin Laden and instead used the trucks to invade Mazar-e-Sharif, which is a city. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the city uh, following the invasion of Afghanistan in 2001. If you've seen 12 Strong or read the book Horse Soldiers, you know that's a really, really important city. But anyway, it's a mostly Persian uh, city. And it was the last city that the Taliban needed to take like full, complete over Afghanistan. And I'll tell you what, it is a complete bloodbath, violence, rape, torture, just uh, just horrific. So it was kind of a solidification of Mullah Omar and his viewpoint of the West and, and um, Saudi Arabia as well. Um, in Ju- July of the very next month of 1998, um, a man by the name Ahmed Salama Mubarak, um, he was kidnapped in Azerbaijan, and he uh, was best friends with Zahawari, uh, the guy we've been talking about, who is at this point Osama bin Laden's right-hand man. I know I'm giving you a lot of names. Uh, there is a the the I've made a who's who Google Doc that um, you all have access to. So go ahead and pull that up. But we're talking about Mubarak, and he was kidnapped in Azerbaijan. And how is he kidnapped? Well, there at this point in the late 90s, the CIA has a massive manhunt. And if, if honestly, if we were in class right now, we'd be doing this manhunt on the board. We'd have, how is this man connected to this man? And it basically, if you recall, when um, uh, Mr. Hawley was, was visiting our class, that, that was part of his job as a SEAL was, okay, we got this voice recording from this guy, He's now linked to this guy. Well, it's just, it's this web of making these connections. Uh, so this guy is kidnapped in Azerbaijan and it's what's on his laptop that literally gets the nickname, the Rosetta Stone for Al-Qaeda. It has charts, it has cells, it has names of all of this massive European Al-Qaeda network. Now, here's very important information. The CIA does not share this with the FBI. And I tell you this because hopefully we'll get to watch Looming Tower together. That is an extremely important part of the lead up to 9-11 is this hoarding of information and not sharing information. Uh, 
with this information, with this laptop later that month, again, we're in July of 1998, Ahmed Osman Salah is arrested in Albania. He's an Egyptian man, he's a member of Al-Qaeda, and he is brilliant in terms of making bombs. Um, he also is considered the mastermind of the African embassy attacks, which we are going to be talking about tomorrow. Uh, and he was arrested making two massive explosion explosives, um, each about 2,000 pounds of TNT. And so what are these explosions for? Explosives for? Well, let's get, let's get there. That's tomorrow. Or actually, no, that's right now. I'm, I'm crazy. We're actually going into um, uh, the bombings of East African uh, embassies. And so when they occurred, these bombs that Salah was working on was, uh, were used on August 7th, 1998. And two uh, almost simultaneous bombs exploded. The first uh, was in Nairobi, Kenya, and the second was in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. And so I want to just break it down, these uh, explosions. Well, the first, the first bomb, um, the driver of the truck is a man by the name Mohammed Al-Awhali, O-W-H-A-L-I. And um, basically, his job was to get the guard to open the gate. Um, but typical terrorist mistakes, he actually f- forgot his pistol. He left it in the truck which was parked behind, right? Because he needed to get the gate open first. So then what he did was he actually had a grenade in his pocket and he threw a grenade in the courtyard. Now, fun fact about that is when the grenade exploded in the courtyard outside the embassy, it drew all of the people inside the embassy in t- to like look and see like, oh my gosh, what? what's happening, right? Uh, and so that's really important for m- moving forward. Um, the truck then goes into uh, the courtyard, explodes, uh, and that basically you have massive chunks of the embassy just completely falling to the ground. Um, he, what's interesting is about him, is he decides to run away from the scene. He decides, and he was actually asked, he's caught, and we'll talk about that later, but he, he's, he's asked, why didn't you kill yourself? And basically, he, he says, well, my mission was to throw the grenade and to, or, and to open the, the gate. If I would have killed myself, that would have been suicide and not martyrdom. Um, so he doesn't kill himself. Um, he actually, now naturally, he's got shrapnel in him. He's banged up pretty bad. So he checks himself into the hospital. He ends up leaving his personal belongings in the room, has all clean clothes. And we'll talk about that um, later on. Uh, the second bomb was, um, the driver was Ahmed Abdullah, and his nickname was Ahmed the German because he had blonde hair. He drove his truck directly into the embassy. Eleven died at this em- embassy in Tanzania. All of them were African. Uh, overall, the um, there were uh, about 240 dead, 12 of which were Americans, and close to 5,000 were wounded with either blind from the explosions, the heat, uh, missing ligaments from having concrete land on top of them. Really horrific. Uh, if you pause this and, and Google this and see some of the image, it's, it's really, really, it's, it's pretty horrific. So now one thing before I, I finish this up is I want you to think, was this when people finally realized, you know what, something's going on here. Like this isn't just normal war. Like there's something going on here. And if you remember when General Shepro visited with us, for him, it was that moment in 1996 where he was on the military base in Saudi Arabia and that military base was attacked and he lost several of his friends. And at that moment, he knew 
we're faced with something new and, and, and terrifying. And, and how do we move forward with this? So what was the point? What was the point of, of this attack? Uh, and so Osama bin Laden put forth several explanations. Um, he, he argues that, he, you know, he did this as a result of the quote unquote Somalian invasion. If you go back to the Battle of Mogadishu and that he, he couldn't believe that Americans did that. He also, um, at this point, there was discussion of partitioning the Sudan. You know, there's two Sudans today, and he blames that on America, and he hated that. Um, he also argued that he wanted to give Americans a taste of what Muslims felt. Um, lastly, one thing I want, I want to leave you with is, you know, did, did he want to lure America into what we call the graveyard of empires, Afghanistan? Hello, everybody. Welcome. Happy, I guess it's Tuesday. Um, welcome. Special shout out to Will Malik for this choice of a song. And um, I appreciate you sending in your selection. So the rest of you keep it coming. So with that being said, let's take it away. We're still in 1998. Uh, we've just bombed the embassies and kind of tossed around the ideas of why did Osama bin Laden do this? Is it to lure America into Afghanistan? Is it uh, to make a point? Is there a point? Um, once we get to 9-11, something I want you to think about is what a lot of modern day historians will argue is, is it was kind of like three strikes. Like he hit us on land the embassies. He hit us on the water, which we'll get to this week, the bombing of the USS Cole. And then he hit us by air with, of course, 9-11. So it's just something I want you to think about. So within eight hours of the embassy bombings, hundreds of FBI arrived in Kenya. Um, what these FBI people discovered was there were actual five American embassies that were targeted. And it's pretty much assumed that out of luck and better intelligence, the other embassies were uh, saved. It's also the FBI discovered that an Al-Qaeda member actually previously had walked into the Nairobi embassy earlier, a few weeks before, and basically told, this, told the CI, one of the CIA members that was there that there's a plot to bomb the, the embassy. And the CIA completely dismissed it when the FBI asked the CIA about it. The CIA basically very flippantly says, you know, we get these, these plots, these plans all the time. If we were to behave irrationally about every single one, no one would take anything seriously. So I tell you that again to, to really hopefully, hopefully highlight the relationship between the FBI and the CIA. It's only getting, it's only getting worse. So let's talk about our dude who ran away, Ohulahi. And he's, he's on the run. And uh, three days after the bombing, the FBI um, were, were tipped about a guy who, quote unquote, didn't really fit in. Like there was something that, that wasn't, wasn't sitting right uh, to people that were around him. Um, his story was that he was in town researching and he was at the bank, a nearby bank when the accident happened. And he, you know, he lost everything. So he can't, he can't prove anything because he lost everything. Um, when he's captured, everything is just, it's impeccable, like just flawless. His clothes were impeccable, which again, he said he lost everything. So when he have the same clothes on, I, I'm just throwing that out there. Um, he, um, there were, there was no blood anywhere. There was no blood on his clothes. Um, and when the FBI agent asked like, well, how, if you have no money, like how, 
How are we? Give us some more here. And basically his immediate response was, well, Arab men are much cleaner than American men and we clean ourselves and we take care of ourselves. And that's why. Um, and so the, the FBI agent is, is questioning him and questioning and just like, this just isn't, this isn't lining up. How, how this, this, this isn't lining up. And so then, you know, the, he's kind of getting more irritated and the FBI agent is asking questions about his clothes again. And then he says, you know, take off your belt. And he says, what? He says, take off your belt. And he takes off his belt and has a price tag on it. And as soon, it was kind of like the final straw that breaks the camel's back where all oh, is like, oh gosh. The mood completely changed in the interrogation room. Uh, and the FBI agent at that point kind of knew like, you know, maybe he, he won't admit everything, but I've kind of got him here. And so uh, he asked him if he wanted time to pray. And he did. And th- then the conversation moved to Qatab and Azam, two people we've talked extensively about. Um, and then the name Osama bin Laden was mentioned. And so they're having a, a delightful conversation. And then he was asked to write down the number that he called right after the bombing. And he actually did. The number went to Yemen and it went to the house of an Ahmed al-Hada. This is huge. Now, not for right now, but what we're going to find out in the next couple of months is Ahmed al-Hada is a huge member in this global network. Um, it's through taping of his, a uh, wiring of his phones that we discover multiple big, big, big jihadi meetings, which we're going to talk about the end of this week. Um, and it's all going through his phone. All right. So he's a really, really important guy. Um, Awalahi uh, admits that he not only called Alhada after the explosion, but also before the explosion. So Alhada is becoming a really key player. Again, if we were in class, I would have him on the board with lines drawing. We would be making our own Al-Qaeda network um, at, at, at school. Um, basically, Alhada is the link of the global uh, Al-Qaeda network. He's so incredibly important. Um, uh, Alhawi, he continues to be cooperative and supportive. Um, uh, he also provides information about Osama bin Laden, um, as much as he knows he's never met Osama bin Laden. Uh, 10 days after the bombings, there is information that is gathered that Osama bin Laden is developing chemical weapons in Sudan. Now he's not in Sudan, but we do know he was in Sudan and by we, I mean America. So anyway, um, and how we know this, it comes from a guy by the name Jamal Al-Fadl. And he is considered the first um, um, Al-Qaeda traitor. He basically went from the Sudan to Eritrea, and he went to the American embassy there and basically said, I've got some info for you. And so at this point, our president of the United States is President Clinton. Uh, I don't know. I know y'all weren't born yet. But if you know, this is also um, Clinton is, is in hot water for a scandal that's occurring in the white house. And so that's all over the news. And so all of this is happening, but all America is focused on is, did he do it? Did he not do it? Right. And that is all they're obsessed with not to date myself, but I remember this. I do not remember, uh, the embassy bombings at all. And I was of age where I should, I should remember that. And all I remember is, is, uh, Clinton's possible impeachment. So anyway, we have what's called Operation Infinite Reach, where basically Clinton authorized the firing of 13 Tomahawk cruise missiles into Karatom, which is in Sudan, as part of the American retaliation for the embassy bombings. It's The bombings are supposed to take place where this plant is that Osama bin Laden is officially, supposedly creating bombs, chemical bombs. So the plant is completely destroyed. Uh, when the FBI go to, you know, 
prove like, aha, we've caught him. Um, not caught him, but you know, we, we see that he's making bombs. Uh, the plant had no signs of chemical weapons, only pharmaceuticals and veterinary medicines. Uh, this plant employed 300 people and produced more than half of Sudan's medicine. Also, Osama bin Laden had nothing to do with this plant. This ends up being extremely controversial. Uh, the homework of that, the online discussion I, I wanted you to think about was, you know, in your opinion, was this mission successful? And now I, I, the other question I asked is, is okay, you're, you're the president and the embassy bombings just happened. How does America respond? And I, want you to, I wanted you to take, take this from the perspective of being the president in 1998. And let's take it to today. If something like this happened today, how does America respond, especially now that we know what we know? This also links to the other question about what is our most important weapon in fighting jihadis or quote unquote bad guys. And it's very different when you're fighting jihadis versus you're fighting another country. That's this ideological war versus, uh, you know, world war two fighting the Nazis. Right. Um, in a sorry for that tangent, in addition to, uh, attacking Sudan, uh, Tomahawk cruise missiles were also sent to coast Afghanistan. And the aim is, is that's where Osama bin Laden was. Let's kill bin Laden. Well, believe it or not, Osama bin Laden the night before decided to go to Kabul. And so on the day of the bombings, uh, a, his his training camp, which is most likely where he would have been, his training camp was destroyed, um, but he wasn't there, so he remains alive. And a lasting legacy of of these massive American bombs are coming in the middle of the night and killing kids, women, adults. Um, so so kind of keep that in terms of you know that there's an expression where for every jihadist you kill, seven pop up in his, in his place. And it's, think of these young boys that are, are growing up in the surrounding towns and their dad is killed, their friend's dad is killed. And this is what they see. So what I want to close with is what's the consequence of operation infinite reach? Well, consequences, um, or lasting legacy is Osama bin Laden is, is established as a true symbolic figure of resistance. Um, voices of anti-Americanism are basically, they're finding their champion. And, uh, Zaharari basically makes the statement of, uh, the war has just become, the war has just begun. And so I, I just want to end that, end that there with you because what we're going into is as we're creeping closer and closer to 9-11, um, a lot more things are coming up. Again, I'd like to thank Will Malik for this song, and I hope you are doing outstanding. Stay healthy, stay happy, and make good choices.